Here we are. It is a Thursday, and it is our last chance to save Iowa. We have to save Iowa. Words no one has ever spoken before. Iowa must be saved. (laughs) Apparently, also, last night, uh, Bill O'Reilly really tried to use his milkshake to bring Donald Trump back to the yard. But Trump was like, mine's huger than yours. Indeed, it was huger than yours. So we'll talk about all of that. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Tend to demonize people who don't care about your feelings. Okay, pardon me for a moment. I need to to just make a primal scream of frustration because... (laughs) I mean, the political scene is so wild and insane right now. We've moved beyond. Yesterday, we were through the looking glass. We've shattered the looking glass. There is no coming back. We're now at the point where Donald Trump is doing interviews with Bill O'Reilly about milkshakes. And tonight, during the Republican debate, which Donald Trump will not be attending, Donald Trump will instead be doing an event for the Wounded Warriors. Yes, the same people he insulted when he said that John McCain was a huge loser for getting caught and becoming a POW. He liked people who weren't caught. He's doing a fundraiser for them. And who will be attending? Who will be attending? Rick Santorum and Mike Huckabee, both of the last two Iowa caucus winners. And supposedly the two most religious men in the field will will be there tacitly endorsing the least religious man, not only in the field, but perhaps in all of the world. (laughs) So Donald Trump, the guy who just a few years ago was endorsing partial birth abortion and who was caught by his first wife cheating with his second wife and then I think caught by his second wife cheating with his third wife, that guy is going to be endorsed by Pastor Huckabee, who's ripping Ted Cruz in ads for not properly tithing. Yes, seriously. These have been the ads that Mike Huckabee is running. He's running, an ad, he's running one ad where, where, it's, where it's not even an ad, it's a, it's a video where they do a version of Adele's Hello, and it's Mike Huckabee on the phone. And it's legitimately the worst thing that has ever been produced on film. It makes you want to go back in time and, and kill Thomas Edison before the development of all the technology that made this possible. But he's doing that, but he's also running ads in Iowa in which he accuses Ted Cruz of not properly tithing. Now, you know, as an Orthodox Jew, I also am theoretically supposed to be tithing. I will freely admit, to the best of my knowledge, I do not tithe, because that's a lot of money, gang. And also, <laughs> and also, <laughs> because I should be tithing, but most of the money ends up disappearing to various costs, including child care and synagogue costs, and it depends on how you count the tithing and all of this. But I'm not going to bash anybody else over their tithing, because... That's just not something that I think is is really uh, a big. It's not it's not a huge thing to me. I'll admit that's not something that so he didn't properly tithe. So I'm not going to vote for him. That doesn't rank high on my list of priorities. But the point is, for Mike Huckabee, tithing is the thing. Tithing is huge. In fact, it's huge. It's so huge that he's going to go and he's going to hang out with Donald Trump, a man who gives apparently very little charity. I mean, if he were tithing, he'd be giving tens of millions of dollars per year. Uh, a man who. Uh, I mean, I'm going to speculate. This is speculation. This is going out on a limb. Sometime in Donald Trump's life, would you be very surprised if you paid for an abortion at some time in Donald Trump's life? Maybe he didn't. Maybe I'm just out on a limb. Maybe I'm being ridiculous. But would it be that surprising? But Don- the point is that Donald Trump is the kind of guy you could see doing something like that. And here's Mike Huckabee basically endorsing him and Rick Santorum, the two most religious guys in the field, because the world has ended, because the apocalypse has come. And maybe on Monday, Trump loses. Maybe order is restored to the universe and Ted Cruz wins. Or maybe Marco Rubio comes out of nowhere and wins. But if Donald Trump ends up winning the nomination, again, would I vote for Donald Trump over Hillary Clinton? I would because I would vote for actual, actually like sulfur-smelling Satan probably over Hillary Clinton. Except it's not possible because I think they're the same person. But 
I would vote for anyone over Hillary Clinton, but that doesn't mean that the world isn't ending and the, the eaves are not crumbling around us. Eaves, E-A-V-E-S, gang. Okay, so we'll start with Donald Trump talking about delicious ice cream treats with Bill O'Reilly last night on Fox News. And as I said yesterday, Fox News is, is participating in this whole thing. Fox News made Donald Trump big. Fox News made Donald Trump a big political figure. They made him famous. Fox News maintained his notoriety even when he was doing The Apprentice. And now that Trump has turned on them, how do they respond? They don't respond by saying, well, you don't get access to our airwaves, the most powerful airwaves in America. They say, why don't you come on our highly rated Bill O'Reilly Factor, The Factor Show? And, uh, and then we will, and then we will, I mean, this whole, all I could think of when watching this interview, my only preliminary comment here, all I could think of when watching this interview between Bill O'Reilly and Donald Trump, the only thing that I could think of was that scene in which, in The Empire Strikes Back, in which Han Solo is about to be put into carbonite, and Leia runs up to him and says, I love you, and, and they pull her away, and Han Solo says, I know. Okay, that was Bill O'Reilly and Donald Trump last night. Because <laughs> O'Reilly kept basically, I love you. And Trump's like, frankly, I know. And so here we go. Donald Trump with Bill O'Reilly, God help us. Look, Putin's going to come at you. The <laughs> Mullahs are going to come at you. Uh, certainly the, the terrorists are going to come at you. And it's going to be personal. They're going to do everything they can to diminish you. And, to, and, and you hope, to, as a president, you have to rise above that. All right. And do what's best for the country. And this exposition that we're talking about today, people are going to say, you know, Trump, he's just too self-absorbed to be president. He needs to look the bigger picture. Well, and the bigger picture is get it, your message to the folks. There's got to be something because you set the all time record in cable history. And so did CNN. And so they want to know you, on, Bill. They want to know well, you. Fine. But by walking a lot of people from know this me. debate. They're not, you're not giving them I'm the opportunity to know them I was as well as they away. would like. I'm not walking away, Bill. You're walking, I'm not walking away. away. Would okay. you do me a favor? Bill, I, look, Bill, I'm you not. owe me because I bought you what so many, happened? So hey, many vanilla milkshakes. I bought you so many vanilla milkshakes, you owe me. Will That's you true. just consider? I want you to consider. All right? Think about it. Say, look, I might come back. Forgive. Go forward. Answer the questions. Look out for the folks. Just want you to consider it. You owe me milkshakes. I'll take them off the right. ledger if you consider it. Well, even though you and I had an agreement that you wouldn't ask me that, which we did, uh, I will therefore forget that you asked me that. But it's <laughs> up to Fox. It's not up to me, Bill. They, what they did You're is actually they, telling well, we the truth we had there. that agreement. You actually, actually did break you the agreement. You're actually telling the truth that I said. So, because I told I you said, up front, I said, don't ask me that question because it's an embarrassing and of course, I'm question for you. And but I I'm not going to listen you. to anybody. Right. But I'm not going to listen to any political person tell me don't ask me anything. But you're absolutely an honest man. Then I said, I, I'll try not to do it, but the milkshake thing just overwhelmed me. But I'm asking you to reconsider it. A lot of milkshakes. If you don't want to, it's up to you. And I'll give you a compliment. I don't know any politician under these circumstances that would have come on in here and done what you did tonight. I, I just don't know any. And by the way, this so is that. much tougher than the debate. Bill, this is much tougher being with you because, frankly, you're smarter. Uh. This is much tougher than doing the debate with Megyn Kelly, believe me. But that's why you should do it and have fun tomorrow night and, and, no, no, and no, tell the folks, fun. listen, here I am. Drake University. Nine oh. o'clock, Drake University. We're going to raise a lot of money for the veterans. Watch. All right, you owe me your 17 milkshakes then, and I want them. That's okay. Right. I'll do that. <laughs> Thank you, Bill. <laughs>
Trump drank all of Bill O'Reilly's milkshakes. All of them. He drank his milkshakes. So O'Reilly makes the, the offer for delicious ice cream treats to Donald Trump, and Donald Trump rejects him. First of all, O'Reilly begging Donald Trump to put his ego aside may be the most amusing thing I have ever seen on television. If it's not, it's one of the top five. Because, I mean, the, how two egos can occupy the same television in that amount of space is a wonder of physics. I mean, be, between the two of them. But there, there he is. There's, there's O'Reilly saying to, saying to Trump, that he, he wants him to come for, for, the, for the folks, for the people of America. The people of America don't need Donald Trump at this debate, okay? Everybody knows what Donald Trump is. Everybody knows what Donald Trump thinks. I'm not that upset that Donald Trump isn't going to the debate. I actually think it's a pretty clever move for a variety of reasons, and I'll do my debate preview in a second. But w what's amazing here is that look how the media are pandering to Trump. Look at this. Can you imagine another can't? Let's say Rand Paul. Rand Paul did do this. Rand Paul said, I'm not going to appear on the lower debate. Were there people who were coming up to him? We beg you, please, for the people of America, for the folks, Rand Paul, we need you on that stage. And it wouldn't matter if Rand Paul were doing better in the polls. If Ted Cruz said, I'm not going to that debate because I think y'all are in favor of Trump, would anybody be saying to Ted Cruz, Ted, you need to come to the debate? This is, it's such WWE narcissistic nonsense. And Trump, is, he's the master narcissist. He's the ma every question here, every question, we'll play a few more. Every question that Trump has asked comes back to how he personally feels about things. Donald Trump is the only person in the universe to Donald Trump. And again, maybe you say that that's a good thing in a politician because he needs to be able to wheel around and hit people randomly because he's so self-absorbed. That means that any attack on him is taken as, a, is taken as, a, as war and he's going to go to war with everyone. And that means sometimes he goes to war with the right people. I've been saying for literally months at this point that Donald Trump is a blunt instrument. He is a hammer in search of a nail. Sometimes he hammers a pane of glass. Sometimes he hammers a puppy. Sometimes he hits a nail on the head. That doesn't mean he's a conservative. But right now, that ego hammer that is Donald Trump is sucking up all the oxygen in the room. And there is a strategic reason for all of this. But first, I want to go through a couple more clips of Donald Trump and Bill O'Reilly talking together. Again, recognize the irony. Donald Trump just told Fox News to go screw themselves. And Fox News' immediate response was, we're going to take our most iconic host and we're going to have you on his show and give you the airtime to promote your agenda, suggesting that Fox News is a bunch of nasty, terrible people. And if this is not just, if this doesn't demonstrate the media political complex, I'm not sure what does. Here we go. But I'll tell you what, this if I had also been had to do with the debate, attitude of Fox. Bill, right. this I, also I, had to do on the flagship with the stupidity on Fox here, of Fox we and what they did. And we're going to be need... having a great event tomorrow night, and I'm going to raise a lot of money for it, veterans, it, and that's a good thing. It's a good thing. But look, Donald, you can do that any night, and, and I can help you, and we'll, we'll raise five times as much money. i got a really good idea that I want you to be involved with about raising money, but we'll get to that later. Well, I'll do other uh, debates, look, Bill. Here's where but, you're but, making hey, Bill, a mistake, though. You're say, making a big Bill, mistake. Can I just say about one thing? Could I just say one thing? What? We've had sure. six debates so far. Every online yeah. poll said I won every one of the debates, especially the last one, by the way, with the New York values, which was horrible what Ted Cruz said. But you know what? The Democrats are all finished with their debates. They've had six. They were hidden behind football games and every other thing. Uh, they're all finished with their debates. We're going to go on forever with these debates. At some point, you've got to start doing other things other than debating. We all have right. people I, in I the debate, that, which is, like Gilmore. People have never even heard of this man. Wait a minute. We have people in our debates that, you know, they're, they're at zero. The, uh, that's the sub-debate, not your leaves. debate. Okay, so here's the thing about Trump. Half of what Trump is saying here is actually true. What I mean by that is that Trump actually was not treated well by Fox News at the first debate, and 
Fox News was begging for this to a certain extent because Trump said, I'm not, maybe I won't come to the debate. And, and Fox News responded with what really was a pretty unprofessional statement. We talked about this yesterday, their statement that if he can't, if he can't face up to Putin or, or the, if he can't face up to Megyn Kelly, he can't face up to Putin. Very, very stupid argument. Doesn't mean that Trump is doing the right thing by pulling out of the debate. It means that he's doing something that makes him look gutsy to his supporters. And again, just you have to recognize the kabuki theater this whole thing is. And it feels like kabuki theater. Doesn't it? Doesn't it feel like kabuki theater? He's not appearing on CNN to rip Fox. He's appearing on Fox News to rip Fox, to raise both of their ratings before this whole thing goes forward. And if you think that Fox News is going to suffer any sort of severe consequences if Donald Trump wins Iowa on Monday, you're sadly mistaken. Donald Trump will get more coverage if he wins Iowa on Monday. If Fox News actually wanted to go to war with a politician who they thought was threatening their host, all they would have to do is bar him from the airwaves. That's all they would have to do, and they're not doing it. Finally, you have Donald Trump ripping on Megyn Kelly. Again, on Fox News, the same network that carries Megyn Kelly. Uh, final clip of this clip, too. Trump saying that Fox taunted him. And by the way, the, the, the grumpy, the grumpy hangdog expression on, on Donald Trump. And the, the man knows when the camera's on him, that is for sure. I don't think not showing up at the debate tomorrow night is good for America. Voters are still assessing you. They need to see you in high-profile situations. Or am I wrong? Well, I think you're wrong because, frankly, when you're mistreated, as we were with the Iran deal, our country should have walked. Secretary Kerry, President Obama should have walked from that deal. You would have made a much better deal. Uh, I was not treated well by Fox. They came out with this ridiculous PR statement. It was like drawn up by a child. And it was a taunt. And I said, you know, how much of this do you take? I have zero respect for Megyn Kelly. I don't think she's very good at what she does. I think she's highly overrated. And frankly, she's a moderator. I thought her question last time was ridiculous. And everybody all said right. I won wait, the wait, debate. Wait. In fact, everybody said, well, everybody said I won all six debates, and especially the last one. So I don't mind but debating. Wait, In fact, I actually like <clears throat> debating. Okay, so again, the, watching this whole thing, you have, to, you have to say, you really do have to say, Everybody is wrong on all sides. Like, my contempt for everyone in the political process, I didn't think it was possible for my contempt for everyone in the political process to have risen during this primary process, but it has. I thought the establishment was awful when they were backing Jeb Bush. Now they're backing Donald Trump over Ted Cruz. I thought that the grassroots had a tendency to fall for populist con men like Donald Trump. I underestimated by a factor of two. And it's just, it's, it's, it's difficult. I thought the media were playing a game with our politics. It turns out that not only are the media playing a game with our politics, the, the media are, are involved in, in building the rules of the game. I thought that the politicians were playing a game with the media where they, were get, where they were granting them this patina of credibility and objectivity, and they're continuing to do that even in the face of all of this. It's like everybody is wrong on all sides because everybody is a little bit right on all sides, right? I mean, the fact is that Donald Trump is a con man. The fact is that Fox News was biased against Donald Trump in that first debate, and that Megyn Kelly attacked Donald Trump during that first debate. And it's true that Fox News attacked Donald Trump after he started kind of jabbing at them this week. It's true that Ted Cruz may not be the most electable candidate in the field. It's true that Marco Rubio isn't good on immigration. All of the negatives are true. Everything that is possible to say negative about the Republican side of the aisle is true, which is why it's so frustrating in a primary process when no one focuses on the other side, when no one focuses on the other side. Politics is a game of contrast. And the problem is, when we get into the primary process, everybody gets so focused on the contrast inside the Republican box, the shades of gray inside the Republican box, they forget there's a whole other box out there of Democrats who are corrupt, 
and evil who are trying to tax us. Bernie Sanders proposing a 56% tax rate on capital gains. Hillary Clinton is a corrupt, lying, terrible person. And you lose the contrast because you're so focused in on Trump versus Cruz and Trump versus O'Reilly and Fiorina versus everybody and Rand Paul, the spider monkey on crack attacking everyone. That what, all you end up with is just this frustration and distaste for everything in the political process. And there's a whole other side here, right? Josh Earnest, and, and, and Democrats are loving this, by the way. Josh Earnest, the White House press secretary, he was asked about Trump dumping out of the debate. And here's Josh Earnest lying and saying that Trump, that, that Barack Obama would always take a debate. He always loves debating. You know, since you brought up the Politico interview, the president himself noted that he was not a big fan of participating in presidential debates, uh, but he never backed out of a debate two days before it was scheduled to be held. Uh, and I think that demonstrates his own commitment to uh, the process uh, and, you know, making good on one's commitments. And, huh. uh, you know, we've seen that, you know, over the last several months that Mr. Trump has repeatedly uh, chosen to kick reporters out of the room for asking tough questions. Uh, it appears uh, he's taking that approach to a new level by avoiding those questions uh, entirely. No matter what amounts of distaste I have for Trump or Rubio or Jeb or Cruz or any of them, no matter what amount, and I don't think they're all the same, by the way. I've made clear that my preference in Iowa is Cruz. No matter what amount of distaste I have for all these people, it pales in comparison to the amount of distaste I have for the liars of the left. Josh Earnest saying that Barack Obama is open to debate is like saying Mussolini is open to debate. Barack Obama never appeared on Fox News the, entire, the entirety of the 2008 election cycle, and the only times he has appeared on Fox News since then are in pre-scripted sit-down question debates before the Super Bowl, basically, with like Bill O'Reilly. That's the only time he was already president at that point. So this idea, the, 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 the left are just, they're liars, and they're terrible all the way around. And the problem is when you get so caught up in this primary process, what you tend to forget is that there's another side out there that should be attacked, and that's why it's so sad. The primary process is not just supposed to be about people bashing each other. It always devolves into that, and there's inevitably going to be some of that. But more than that, it should be about who's going to stand up best against the other side. The case for Trump is that he's going to stand up best against the other side because it's Trump against the world, and the left is part of the world. Right? That's sort of the case for Trump. The case for Cruz is he's going to stand up best against the other side because he's the most conservative guy. The problem with the Trump case is that it involves him hitting everybody, including people on his own side, for both justified and unjustified reasons. And speaking of disliking everybody, John McCain, it's, again, everybody on the Republican side of the aisle is just, everybody in politics is distasteful. My distaste for the world is, is at a spinal tap 11 today. John McCain, the, the 2008 failed nominee, here is John McCain ripping on Donald Trump because he's saying that Donald Trump is playing the media. Well, I think, first of all, that uh, anyone who is running for office and gets to pick who the moderator is, uh, that's the destruction of uh, free press as we, as we know it. And second of all, um, I think that uh, part of it is to blame the media. They've basically given him a free pass. Uh, he calls in on the Sunday talk shows. He decides which programs he's on and which he isn't. He is now uh, makes all these... Uh, uh, he's, he's able to f fill the room and take all the oxygen out of it at the same time. And uh, so the media, I think, in their desperation to have him on all the time to increase ratings, uh, has probably given him the confidence that he can uh, decide to have a, quote, veterans event. By the way, I wish you were not using a veterans event as a way to further his own uh, political agenda. By the way, the last thing that he says there is correct, but, but when, when McCain complains that 
Trump is manipulating the media and nobody should be able to manipulate the media. The left has been manipulating the media for years. Okay, so meanwhile, in the Republican race, well, actually, you know, point of information. Let me just do a side point here. Point of information. There is a problem with some of the, some of the stuff that's going to happen during tonight's Republican debate. And I'll get again to my preview in just a second. Tonight's Republican debate, there are going to be a couple of questioners who are out-and-out hardcore leftists, including a woman named Nabella Noor, who is a, a Muslim woman who is going to presumably rip all of the candidates on the stage because America's Islamophobic. I mean, for example, here's an example of Nabella Noor. She's on YouTube. Here's an example of her talking about Islam. I am a Muslim American, and I am just like you. I was born and raised in this country. I work in this country. I believe in this country, and I pray for the safety of this country. I am an American through and through, and I'm also a Muslim. And as a Muslim, I believe that there's only one God, and that Prophet Muhammad was his messenger. I believe in five pillars. The declaration of my faith, prayer, pilgrimage, fasting during the month of Ramadan, and charity. These five pillars are the framework of Islam. Okay, so and she notice is, how they don't she's, include she's violence or terror. Stop it there. She's, a, she's a motivated Muslim lady, and she's going to come, and she's going to impugn all the Republicans for being Islamophobic. So Fox is doing that setup, and they're doing a second setup where they're having an illegal immigrant uh, who became an American citizen after joining the military show up. And here is here's that lady. So we should have a video now. Our her, whole yeah. journey was really, really tough. We jumped fences, like you can see here. There was a guy helping us out, and we were like just staring at the fence. We were really, really scared, and um, we would also do a lot of walking. And we actually slept a lot of nights in people's garage. Like if the door was open, we would actually go in and sleep at some random garage. But uh, and I don't know. It was just really. A really weird experience, but since I was around six years old, I still remember it clear as day. Okay, so she's this so, is, her like name, this I said, name is Dolce Candy, I guess, and she, or at least that's her that's her name on YouTube, and so she's going to show up to the debate too. So, again, the the whole media ratings game is is rather off putting. Okay, meanwhile, it's getting hot and heavy in Iowa. So so Ted Cruz, his super PAC, basically said to Trump, we'll give your wounded veterans $1.5 million if you'll come and debate me one-on-one. -on -one. I think it's kind of a poor move. The reason I think it's a poor move is because it looks like you're using veterans as a bargaining chip, which is silly. Um, but he also dropped an ad in Iowa on Trump on immigration. Here's what that ad looks like of, of this from Ted Cruz's campaign about Trump's immigration stand. Donald Trump is skipping the last debate before the Iowa caucuses. Why? Trump can't handle tough questions, like why he'd let millions of illegal immigrants stay in America and even supports a pathway to citizenship. You have to give them a path and you have to make it possible for them to succeed. You have to do that. How do you throw somebody out that's lived in this country for 20 years? So, you right, just can't right. throw everybody out. And why does Trump support amnesty? Maybe because Trump makes big money off illegal immigrants. A federal court ruled that Trump's company hired illegal immigrants to help the construction process for Trump Tower. He even paid a million-dollar fine. And his new hotel in Washington? The Washington Post interviewed about 15 laborers at the D.C. hotel site, reporting that many revealed they had entered the U.S. illegally. Amnesty for illegal immigrants. Big money for himself. Can conservatives trust Donald Trump? Our principal's pack is responsible for the content of this advertising. So that's a Cruise-associated pack. 
Uh, and that's a good ad. I mean, the fact is that, that Trump is not trustworthy on this, so Cruz is going to slam him on the issue. So let's talk about what the debate's going to look like tonight without Trump. On one network, or two, CNN and MSNBC are both counter-programming the debate by pushing the Trump event. And it'll be Trump, and apparently Mike Huckabee and Rick Santorum will show up as well. There are rumors that even Palin may show up. So it'll be a star-studded cavalcade with Donald Trump as the impresario of this three-ring circus. Uh, and the reason, by the way, that Trump is doing all of this, just to point this out, the reason Donald Trump is doing all of this is because the only way that Trump can win Iowa, he has no ground game. The only way he can win is with complete, utter media ubiquity. He's hoping that the fact the media is obsessed with him will drive voter turnout in Iowa. The indicators so far are not great for this, by the way. He needs better than average voter turnout, and he needs voter turnout in a certain segment. New York Times, Forbes magazine, both of them reporting today, that may not happen. But let's talk about what's going to happen during the Republican debate. So Trump is obviously centralizing media attention on himself. He's, he's trying to, to win this thing with what would amount to basically an air campaign. It's, it's, it's kind of the 30,000-foot campaign, every, all the media, all the headlines, all the rest of it. And meanwhile, Cruz is doing heavy body work on the ground. He's getting boots on the ground. Well, Trump wins one other way by avoiding this debate, other than the media coverage. The other way that he wins is that tonight the candidates are just going to pummel each other. I mentioned this yesterday. Fox News basically has three interests in the debate tonight. One is ratings. If they want ratings, they're going to have to talk Trump. End of story. They're going to have to have all the other candidates rip Trump. That inures to Trump's benefit. The second priority is not allowing Trump to win, but they don't really care that much about that, as we've said. And the third priority is a strong Republican debate. And again, that means tough questions to all these people, which means they tear each other apart. Ted Cruz is going to be the target. He's going to be the target for Marco Rubio. Now, if Marco Rubio were smart, and I think Rubio's a smart guy, but I don't think he's strategically smart. If he were smart, what he would recognize is that the best option for Marco Rubio in Iowa is that Ted Cruz wins Iowa. Rubio's not going to win Iowa. So if Cruz wins Iowa and Trump comes in second and Rubio comes in a close third, then we get the does Donald Trump have a glass jaw issue, which he might. If he goes down in Iowa, does he lose a bunch of points in New Hampshire? And if, and if Rubio finishes stronger than expected, does he see a boost in New Hampshire? And all of a sudden, Marco Rubio is the favorite. So the best thing for Rubio would be for Cruz to win in Iowa, right? And right now, Cruz is the only one in, in spitting distance of Trump. I don't know that Rubio is smart enough, so I think he's going to attack Ted Cruz tonight instead of leaving Ted Cruz alone, which is really what he should do. Meanwhile, Jeb Bush is going to try to tear down Marco Rubio. Jeb Bush has run $20 million worth of ads in Iowa against Marco Rubio. Chris Christie is going to attack Marco Rubio. Rubio will attack both Christie and Jeb. John Kasich is going to sit there fruit chopping things. He's going to do his fruit ninja routine, but he'll actually get hit a little bit. And Rand Paul, as I said before, is going to go on drug-addled spider monkey revenge time. I mean, that's just what he does in these debates. He's going to attack everyone, particularly Cruz. All of which means that the big winner coming out of this is probably Donald Trump, which is exactly what people don't want. So everything that they're seeking is the, is the opposite of what they're going to get. And if you wonder why I'm depressed today, this is why I'm a little bit depressed today. Again... I just want to remind folks, for all of the depression, for all of the infighting inside the Republican side, remember, on the other side is Hillary Clinton. On the other side is Hillary Clinton for all of the talk, for all of the fighting. And Hillary Clinton is a lady who says things like she's not corrupt. She's the most off-putting person in American politics. Here's Hillary Clinton talking about how she can't be bought. Senator Sanders is reading an attack ad against you. We don't know whether he's going to use it, but the language is basically that you're uh, in hock to Wall Street because of the speaking fees you've taken from Goldman Sachs. How do you respond? Or how will you respond to an 11th hour attack like that? 
Well, first, it's really disappointing, Chris. Um, you know, Senator Sanders ha has started to get increasingly personal with his attacks. He even compared me to Dick Cheney last week, which, you know, it's kind of a low blow. Um, so it would be another escalation and a breaking of his pledge uh, not to go negative. One of the things that I think has been great about uh, the Democratic side is we really have focused on issues while the Republicans have been hurling insults. Uh, and I think the people in Iowa want to go to the caucuses thinking about which one of us uh, as president can actually make a difference in their lives. And that's a case I've been focused on making. Uh, so, uh, you know, it, it would uh, be a, a sharp departure by Senator Sanders. And, you know, the other part of this is anybody who knows me knows you can't buy me. I mean, honestly. You can't and buy standing Hillary up Clinton. and fighting and getting knocked around for years, <laughs> trying to get things done that I think would improve people's we can, lives. We can and pause I'm not it there. We can't buy that. Hillary Clinton. This is this is the pitch on the other side of the aisle. Hillary Clinton can't be bought, except for her billion-dollar foundation, right? Except for the Clinton Global Initiative, she can't be bought. Except for the two hundred thousand dollars speeches at Goldman Sachs, she can't be bought. Except for her husband getting invitations from foreign nations to speak there. While she's Secretary of State, she can't be bought. It's amazing. It's amazing. So never forget, no matter how depressed we get, no matter how upsetting this Republican race becomes, the battle is really with the left. It really is. And no matter how snarky I get with Donald Trump, and he deserves every bit of snark I can level at him because I don't think that Donald Trump is conservative. I think Donald Trump is a manipulative egomaniac. He's still better than Hillary Clinton because anything is better than Hillary Clinton. Okay, time for some things that I like and some things I don't like. So uh, just a, a, a recent addition to the things that I like. Uh, there's a, a hashtag that's trending right now, make a movie Amish. And uh, I have to mention that some of these are very funny. Uh, from Farm Here to Eternity, uh, The Horse Awakens, maybe Star Wars The Force Awakens, The Girl with the Wagon Tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> so check it out. That's kind of funny. Okay. Other things that I like that are, that are slightly more important. Um, so... There's a book that I, that I am a big fan of. It's a book by a guy named Jonathan Haidt. He's a sociologist. Uh, he's a social scientist, social psychologist over at, at NYU. It's a book called The Righteous Mind. And it, the whole book is about the differences between left and right in terms of basic principles. And we're not talking about you know, biblical viewpoint. We're talking about things like where do, where do the left and right stand on fairness? Where do the left and right stand on things like sanctity? He basically says there are seven different measures of how human beings believe, and the right is active in all seven of these measures, and the left really only focuses on two. It's a really fascinating book. The book is called The Righteous Mind. When Jonathan Haidt wrote it, he was actually of the left, and by the time he finished writing the book, he had converted to being a political independent. This is a very, very interesting book. Uh, also, on my reading list, just for people who care, I, I am in the middle of Nate Silver's book, and it's a very interesting book. Nate Silver is a man of the left, but the data in his book are, are very interesting, and his, and his sort of analytical perspective is very interesting. Okay, time for a few things that I hate. So we could talk about the Ayatollah releasing notice on Holocaust Remembrance Day that um, the Holocaust didn't happen. Those are our new allies. We could talk about that. That's a thing I hate. And President Obama saying today that anti-Semitism around the world is on the rise. I wonder why. Maybe it could be your Jew-hating administration giving room to people like the Ayatollah to push his stuff with $150 billion you just handed him. We could talk about Hillary and Obama still doing Oscars so white. They're both talking about how Hollywood is racist. Which, by the way, the reason we care about this, folks, is not because we care about Hollywood. Because Hollywood is full of terrible leftists. The reason that we care about this is because the implication is if Hollywood is left and Hollywood is racist, if campuses are left and campuses are racist, how much more so must they be racist 
over in Texas and Oklahoma. That's the whole principle of this. We could talk about that. Instead, I want to focus on a Norwegian lady who thinks she's a cat. Because, I mean, we all need to pick me up from time to time. Her name is Nano, and I want to introduce you to the first trans-catite person that I know of, Nano from Denmark. And I will read you the subtitles because it is, in fact, well, what, what language do they speak in, in Denmark? Do they speak German in Denmark? Is, 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 Dutch a, is Danish a language? Uh, I'm not going to pretend that I care deeply. But in any case, here is Nano speaking about how she is a cat. I am Nano, 20 years old. I have been a cat all my life. Well, not all your life. I realized I was a cat when I was 16, when doctors and psychologists found out what was the thing with me. Under my birth, there was a genetic defect. Yeah. Okay, and then it's just pictures of this crazy lady. Okay, so we can pause it there. This this nut job. Uh, well, we go a few frames forward so we can see her face. There we go. This nut job, for people who can't see, she's colored her hair so she looks like a calico cat. And she has piercings, two in her upper lip, two in her lower lip. And I always wonder when people pierce their lips. When they, when they pierce their nostrils, I always wonder how they blow their nose. When they pierce their lips, I just don't understand how they chew and they don't chip their teeth. And it's really weird. But... And she's wearing around cat ears and a tail. She meows at people. She purrs at people. She pounces at people. According to the left, this is all glorious, I'm sure. She is just the new wave of humans who can be anything. Just because you were born human doesn't mean that you were born human. She obviously has a genetic condition that leads her to believe that she's a cat. How could we possibly doubt this? She's the Caitlyn Jenner of the cat community. How could we possibly doubt that she's actually, in her head, a cat? She was just born in, she's a cat, born in the wrong body, right? This is what we have come to as a deeply stupid society. We've now reached the point where people can be cats, cats can be people, men can be women, women can be men, and Hillary Clinton can be president, and Donald Trump can be the Republican nominee. Okay, so since it is a Thursday, and we're way over time, but whatever, we're going to do a few of these letters from the mailbag. So thank you all for your mail. Lots of mail this week, as every week. So we start with Maria. Yeah, we'll get to that video. Why don't we start with that one, actually, that has video attached. This is one from Daniel. Okay, so Daniel writes to me this week, and he sends me a video that he wants me to respond to. And it's this video of these three girls talking. He says, these girls mention a gun ban, Americans standing on the bones of Native Americans, fat shaming, and so on. Maybe you could use this as a video that you hate. All right, we'll do that. He said apparently his girlfriend was told to share this video on Facebook for a grade at their university. So we will watch just a little of this video and then respond. Here in America, in every single state, they have a set of standards for every subject, a collection of lessons that the teacher is required to teach by the end of the term. But the greatest lessons you will ever teach us will not come from your syllabus. The greatest lessons you will ever teach us you will not even remember. You never told us what we weren't allowed to say. We just learned how to hold our tongues. Now somewhere in America, there's a child holding a copy of Catcher in the Rye, and there's a child holding a gun. But only one of these things have been banned by their state government, and it's not the one that can rip through flesh. It's it's the one that says F you on more pages than one. Because we must control what the people say, how they think. And if they want to become the overseer of their own selves, then we'll show them a real one. And somewhere in America, there's a child sitting at his mother's computer, reading the homepage of the KKK's website. And that's open to the public, but that child will have never read To Kill a Mockingbird because the school has banned it for its use of the N-word. Maya Angelou is prohibited because we're not allowed to talk about rape in school. We were taught that just because something happens doesn't mean you are to talk about it. They build this brand new shopping mall so, so that, that we'll, we'll 
will forget where we're really standing on the bones of the Hispanics, on the bones of the slaves, on the bones of the Native Americans, on the bones of those who fought just to speak. Okay, let me pause it there. Okay, so a few things seem mildly confusing to me. So apparently they, they don't want to ban Catcher in the Rye, but they do want to ban the KKK website. So, so speech bans do exist in their magical world. I'm against all of these speech bans. I think you should be allowed to read The Catcher in the Rye. I think you should be allowed to read To Kill a Mockingbird. I don't like The Catcher in the Rye. I think it's a wildly overrated book. But I think that To Kill a Mockingbird's a great book. I think people should be encouraged to read it. I read it when I was eight. So, you know, I think that you know, the idea, the juxtaposition of they want to ban books, but they don't want to ban guns. I don't want to ban books or guns. So there's that. And then when then they said that the malls are built on the bones of the of the Native Americans and they're built on the bones, I mean, where are they building their malls? It just, that's my real question. I mean, they they need to find better territory. I mean, if they're really like burying, haven't they ever read a book? I mean, if you if you build a mall over an old Native American graveyard, things are just going to go really poorly for you. I mean, that's how you end up with the haunted food court gang. So that that seems like a bad idea. But the, the idea here is, of course, that, that we are all deeply guilty. We have all sorts of guilt. Guilt is, is what, what life is about. It's all about guilt. Which brings us to letter number four from a guy named Lozner. And, and by the way, we don't need girls doing spoken word poetry in unison. Just never should this happen again. If we are going to ban speech, we can start there and nothing will be lost. It'll be okay. You can speak one at a time, it turns out. And we can hear you just fine. Okay. Lozner writes, some leftists I know say the, the USA isn't their country, and it was stolen from the Native Americans by evil whites, and therefore holidays celebrating figures like Columbus should be done away with. On top of that, they say all Americans inherit guilt from this, and if I believe in American pride, it is hypocritical to not have guilt. I have my own response for this, but I was wondering what your thoughts are. Thanks. Okay, those are two separate cu questions. First is the, we stole them the land from the Native Americans. Okay, for those who are new to history, the Native Americans also stole land from other Native Americans. And those Native Americans stole land from Native Americans. And it turns out that throughout human history, people have been, quote-unquote, stealing land from other people. It's also hard to steal land when people claim there's no such thing as ownership of land. So there's that as well, which doesn't justify terrible treatment of the Native Americans, which absolutely happened in the United States. As far as Columbus, the celebration of figures like Columbus, this is a very simple question. Is the United States better off today because Western civilization came to North America? Well... Yes, because it wouldn't exist otherwise. Because Western civilization was superior to a culture that had not developed the wheel by the time that people got here. Hey, they didn't have horses until, the, until the, the, the folks in Europe got here. Like, the fact is that the average life expectancy in primitive communities, like the Native American community before the West got here, life expectancy was in the 30s. So, you know, for all of the romanticization that goes on of Native American lifestyles, the world is a much better place because Western civilization grew. And that doesn't justify nasty treatment of Native Americans. And there were plenty of Westerners who thought the treatment of Native Americans was nasty and tried to protest against it. That doesn't justify that, but it does suggest that Western civilization is a good thing. As far as your personal level of pride and guilt, I will say this. You can be proud of what America's central principles are without feeling guilty about slavery. Because, but you shouldn't feel proud of, for example, if, if you say, I'm proud because we won World War II. You should be proud of the principle. You should be proud that your country fought and did that. But you weren't there. You know, you're not, you're not allowed to steal somebody else's glory. And just so you're, you're also not allowed to steal somebody's guilt. Okay, I wasn't involved in oppressing a black person. I didn't hold slaves. So I don't feel guilty about oppressing black people or holding slaves because I didn't do it. Okay, I wasn't involved in that. I have plenty of other things in my own life to feel guilty and terrible about. I don't need everybody else's guilt. And as far as pride, you should be proud of your own accomplishments and the ideals that you hold. You shouldn't be proud of the accomplishments of others. So that is the... 
the short answer. Okay, there was a second video uh, that somebody sent me about wealth inequalities from a guy named Kurt. And, uh, and he sent me this video about income inequality. He says that he's concerned because there are so many young Americans who are buying into the idea that wealth inequality in America is a terrible, terrible thing. So we'll play some of this video and I will critique. A Harvard business professor and economist asked more than 5,000 Americans how they thought wealth was distributed in the United States. This is what they said they thought it was. Dividing the country into five rough groups of the top, bottom, and middle three 20% groups, they asked people how they thought the wealth in this country was divided. Then he asked them what they thought was the ideal distribution. And 92%, that's at least 9 out of 10 of them, said it should be more like this. In other words, more equitable than they think it is. Okay, let's pause now, that right fact for is a second. So, the problem with income inequality, and we've already hit it, okay? We've already hit the bedrock problem with the income inequality idea, is you don't get to decide how wealth is distributed. Okay, the idea that this is how people think wealth should be distributed, who cares? I don't make my money based on polling data. Okay, I don't make my money based on going to 10 people and asking them, how much money do you think I ought to make? I provide goods and services for which people pay voluntarily. And that's nobody else's damn business. This is why income inequality is stupid. Because income inequality suggests that you, as your, your own little mini-god, along with the other mini-god-like friends, get to take money away from me because you have a picture of utopia in your head, and now you can oppress everybody else. That makes you a jackass. Okay, anybody who cares deeply about income inequality is a jackass. If you care about poor people and you want poor people to be able to make more money, that's a good thing. If you care about stealing money from some people to give to other people because it doesn't match the utopian vision you have in your head, that's because you're a busybody, nosy a-hole. Okay, let, let me be clear. That's who Bernie Sanders is. And so we can continue with a few more seconds of this video, but we've already hit the point. I mean, once I say that, the rest of this all falls apart. Once you point out that there is nothing to the idea that you morally have a moral utopian view of how wealth should be distributed, you don't get to decide that? Because let me ask you this. Who's in that top 20%? Does anyone know who's in that top 20%? How do you know? Maybe it's Mother Teresa. Maybe it's Kanye. It could be anybody in that top 20%. And how, how would you get to decide what services are worthwhile and which ones aren't? Maybe you think the teachers are more worthwhile than doctors, right? I don't care what you think. If you think that's true, go pay your teacher more than your doctor. See how it works out for you. The fact is... The, the aggregated knowledge, this, this is important. People act like the aggregated opinions of people are more important than the aggregated behavior of people. Behavior is more important than opinion. You know why the wealth is distributed the way that it is in the United States? Because you, the same person who say that it should be distributed more ideally, don't behave that way, right? You behave as though there's a price to be paid for services and you pay it. End of story. And then they say, well, how much should you pay? And you say, oh, I wish I... I, I wish I could pay $1 for it, but that's not how you behave. You know why? Because that ain't the real world. So we don't live in this fantasy world in your head where you get to redistribute everybody else's money. We don't live in that world, thank God. Thank God, because it's a terrible, evil, nasty world that you live in. Instead, we live in a real world where you get to determine with the person on the other side of the table what is a price that, that incentivizes that person to do the job. And you'll see, this is the, basically, excuse me, the rest of the video is this. So we'll continue for just a few more seconds. Telling, admittedly, the notion that most Americans know that the system is already skewed unfairly. But what's most interesting to me is the reality compared to our perception. The ideal is as far removed from our perception of reality as the actual distribution is from what we think exists in this country. So ignore the ideal for a moment 
Here's what we think it is again. And here is the actual distribution. Shockingly skewed. My God. Not only do the bottom 20% and the next 20%. This all just continues. And he says, this is the whole point is, oh my God, all these rich people have all this money. Another point to be made here. Hey, number one, all those rich people made their money through voluntary transactions with other people. Nobody stole it. If they did, they go to jail. That's illegal still. The only type of stealing that is still legal in America is you and your jackass friends voting to take away my money at the point of gun. That's the only kind of stealing that's still legal in the United States. Okay? It's been illegal to steal in the United States since the passage of the 13th Amendment, abolishing involuntary servitude. So th this whole thing, it really angers me because they act like this is a great moral mission, but it isn't. This is actually evil. What you're watching right now is actually an evil moral mission. That your ideal of what you think wealth should be distributed, that should trump the actual voluntary activities of human beings. That you should shut down people's voluntary activities. It makes you a fascist. This is why socialism ends in fascism, gang. This is why. Okay. The same letter writer, Kurt, asks what my favorite musical is. So it's a pretty wide variance in your, in your email. Uh, my favorite musical is 1776. Um, I just grew up on it. It's a great musical. If you haven't seen it, it's a lot of fun. It's about the founding of the United States. I got a letter from Sam. He says, I'm fascinated by Jewish culture and traditions and wondered, as you follow Orthodox Judaism, are there any mitzvot, this is the commandments, or a mitzvah that you don't follow? I hope it isn't offensive to ask, and apologies if it is. No, it's not offensive to ask at all. I'm sure there are many mitzvot that I don't follow properly, which is why I, every, I pray three times a day, and in every single Shemona Esrei, every single silent Amida, every single silent prayer in the middle of that, uh, there's, a, there's a paragraph called Slach Lanu, where you literally beat your chest and repent. So well, we sin all the time. If the question is, are there ones that I purposefully don't do, I know that there are ones that I could do better. Let's say that. There is certainly, just like every other human being, there are ones that I can say better, including tithing. I can do better on tithing, as we already acknowledged earlier in the program. Although, to be honest with you, I don't really know how much money I give to charity until the end of the year, and I'm not sure what percentage of my after-tax income I give. But I, I bet it's probably less than 10%, so I should do better on that one. And I pledge to try and do better on that one. Okay, a couple of more of these. Let's see. Maria has one. She says, hey, Ben, first and foremost, I admire you. I'm Jewish and conservative as well, so it's great to see I'm not the only one. While I do agree with you on most issues, I disagree with your stance on waiting until marriage to have sex. While you are fully correct on the fact that doing so will guarantee that you are STD-free, the act of waiting is not that simple. Women typically, typically begin menstruation around age 13. Boys produce sperm at age 14. The fact that we developed so early means we were designed to be getting married and having babies this young. When puberty ends, about 16 to 18 is when we are best fit to reproduce. This is why women over 40 have a higher risk of birth defect. Honestly, if we weren't supposed to have sex until we were adults by Western society standards, why in the world would we develop years before we actually should reproduce? I agree it's best to wait, but it's difficult to not do something you are biologically inclined to do. So, there's a difference between is and ought. You're right. The biological inclination to have sex starts as soon as puberty hits. And this happens when you are very young. Just because that's true doesn't mean you ought to do it. There are lots of things that biology implies that you should do, and you ought not. In fact, there's relatively good evidence that even among human beings, there's an instinct among stepfathers, for example, to kill their stepchildren. Like, really, this exists in the animal kingdom, in, in, among, among gorillas and apes. Well, I'm not sure gorillas, but certainly among baboons. It's been shown that, that step-parents will come in after the father dies and they want to kill the offspring because that allows the, the female of the species to procreate again because when they're nursing, they can't procreate. So that doesn't mean that in the human community that would be okay. There are lots of biological imperatives that are certainly not moral imperatives. And that's, in fact, what differentiates human beings from animals is that we don't always have to follow our biology. As far as the age of marriage, 
we have moved way too far in the opposite direction, meaning that people shouldn't be getting married at age 13 and 14 because you're not capable of making good decisions, which is sort of the point at 13 and 14, which is why people get STDs at age 16 when they sleep around. The fact is that at age 13, age 14, your prefrontal cortex is not even remotely developed and your, your amygdala, which is the fear and emotion center of your brain, is highly developed, meaning that your emotions control you when you're a teenager biologically. It's bad to make long life, long-term life decisions on that basis. This is why it used to be in a world without birth control, for example, you know, when it was important to have very strong social standards about not having sex before marriage because people would have sex, they'd get pregnant, they'd have babies out of wedlock, and that had actual ramifications for the society at large. So the solution is to be abstinent until marriage, but not to wait until you're 30 to do it. You know, a society in which people get married, right now the average age is, I believe, 28 for men and 27 for women. A society in which people are waiting that long, they're obviously not abstinent as a general rule until they're 28 or 29 years old. And they're not having babies until they're in their early 30s, which means they're probably only going to knock out one or two kids. I'm of the opinion that men should be looking at prospective wives by the time they hit voting age. I mean, by the time you hit 18 years old, you should already be thinking about being an adult. I know this is, this is counterintuitive. You can serve in the military, but you can't get married at age 18. I mean, the, the, this, is, this is stupid to me. It doesn't mean you should get married at age 18. It depends on each individual person. But there are certainly people who are ready at age 18. There are people who are ready at age 20. I was 24, my wife was 20. Both my, my parents met at 18 and married at 21. You know, it, marriage young is not the worst thing in the world. The problem is that we've turned all of the people of the United States basically into perennial adolescents. We're all living like they do in Friends. We're 35 years old, single, living with roommates in apartments in New York, and we're losers. And we have no kids, and then we turn around, our biological clock is ticked, and we've had sex with 100 people, but we have no happiness, we have no stability, and we have no children. That's problematic as a society. So the push to abstinence until marriage is actually a push to get married younger. I, I speak at, at Jewish high schools pretty frequently, uh, and, uh, and one of the Jewish high schools, Orthodox high schools particularly, and one of the Orthodox high schools to which I spoke, I shocked some of the rabbis in the audience because I was talking to the boys, and I was talking about marrying my wife, and, and one of the things that I said is that I, I was talking particularly about same-sex marriage. I said, I don't care. I don't think the state should be involved in, in marriage at all. I think the state should be out of that business because... My wife and I have two separate marital documents. We have our, our, we have our marital document that is the, uh, the state-provided marital document, our marriage certificate, and then we have the, the ketuvah, which is, the, which, is the, the ketuvah, which is the Jewish marital document. I don't care about the state one. I care about the Jewish one because the Jewish one meant that I got to have sex with my wife. Right? And everybody in the, in the audience laughed except for the rabbis who were very fretful because religious adults get very kind of – upset when, when you talk with teenagers about sex, as though teenagers have never heard about this thing and know nothing about it or are not inclined toward it or anything. The reason I said that, one of the rabbis said, well, you should really say that, that you know, you, you, the ketubah was, was important to you because that's, when you could get, because that's when you could have kids. And I said, no, because there's no 16-year-old boy in the world who is eager to have kids. Right? But there are lots of 16-year-old boys who are eager to have sex. So if you want to encourage them to get married and you want to encourage them to maintain abstinence, and the rule has to be abstinence until marriage. And don't get married when you're 35 years old. Right? Don't, don't try out a living arrangement with someone before you, before you live with them. You know, virginity until marriage works out. By the way, this whole, the, the argument that you always hear, which is really, truly one of the dumbest arguments ever, what if you're not sexually compatible? What if you're not sexually compatible? Okay, if you're a dude and you have a penis and she has a vagina, you're sexually compatible. Okay, biologically, you are now sexually compatible. Congratulations. Your union has been biologically blessed. Okay, the idea of 
whether somebody is good in bed or not, and you have to try it out, first of all. Let me just tell you, gang, there aren't that many tricks in the book. Okay, Cosmopolitan is wrong. There are not another X-rated version of the Ben Shapiro show, um, but they're, they're they're not. Every every week, Cosmopolitan comes up with different ways to have sex, and this is idiotic because there are only so many ways those Tinker Toys fit together. So the fact is that if you're worried about sexual compatibility, worry more about personal compatibility. I've yet to meet a couple that is personally very compatible and very in love with each other, but sexually totally incompatible, because the fact is you're going to know a fair bit about your spouse, or you should before you get married. You should date. You should get to know that person. I knew my wife and I were going to be sexually compatible because we had lots of fun together in other aspects of our lives, and we knew how we felt about sex before we got married. You don't actually have to take somebody for a test drive, okay? This isn't a Tesla. It's a human being. And this idea that, that a woman is a, is a woman, a woman is a horse to be rid. We have to give her a ride before we can determine whether to buy that old nag. It's, it's actually incredibly sexist. The test drive version of sexual life is supremely sexist. And by the way, completely objectifying, and that's true for both men, and it's true for women. Okay, we'll do one more because I know that we're so far over time, it's beyond reason at this point. Okay, so, and we'll do this one because it's a comic book one. So we'll do this one. All right. Chad writes, you've spoken about The Dark Knight as a conservative film. I've always been provoked to deep thought by the Joker's line, I'm not a monster, I'm just ahead of the curve. I've interpreted this line to suggest man will do whatever he has to to justify our means to an end. The Joker sees himself as the fully realized morality of man, and he has no morality. He believes he is the embodiment of an excuse to nowhere. The end to which we seek is futile and absent of meeting. The excuses we make for our means are not necessarily evil as much as they are us. And he says, this is because the Joker is a liberal, basically. He says, when I see liberal philosophy, and it lacks actual structure, it molds day-to-day for whatever need people say that they have, well, that's, that's liberalism, and that's what the Joker is. I agree. The Joker's a nihilist. In the end, leftism is a nihilistic philosophy. The only difference between the Joker and, and the left is that the left purports to want utopia. The Joker just wants anarchy. So there's a strain of the left that just wants anarchy because they don't really care about anything except themselves. They just care about tearing down the order. The Joker and the left make common cause all the way until it comes time to build utopia. So you want to see the difference between the Joker and, and, the, and the hardcore American left Joker and Bane is a good contrast. Not the Bane who actually wants to, his secret plan is to nuke Gotham, but the, but the Bane who says that he's going to build a communist new paradise in Gotham City. Right? He can make common cause with the Joker who wants to tear everything down up until the point he wants to build everything back up again in his own image. So leftists are nihilists up till the point where they're secular atheist utopians and they, and they worship themselves and so they have to build all of humanity in their own image the same way that you see in that wealth inequality video, right? What do I think wealth inequality should be like? Well, why don't I just force everybody at point of gun to give me their money, and then I can just determine that reality will now match what we hope it to be. Okay, folks, the Iowa caucuses are coming up on Monday. We will have a broadcast before we know the results, so we'll give you all the updates then. Uh, It's going to be crazy tonight. Go to dailywire.com tonight. I will be live blogging. Oh, God. I'll be live blogging this Republican debate. I'll also have commentary about the Donald Trump fiasco anarchic circus of death and doom happening in Iowa tonight. I'll have my commentary on all of that over at dailywire.com. I look forward to seeing you there. Have a wonderful weekend, and we will see you Monday if the world has not blown up by that point. And Donald Trump isn't breaking watermelons like Gallagher on the audience in the splash zone. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second first. 
Pure Talk believes in American values, and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick-charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. PureTalk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So, I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. <laughs> 